The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Fighter versus the Writer. I'm your host, as always, Damon Martin. And this week, we are getting into uh, what could end up being the biggest pay-per-view card of the year, UFC 280 in Abu Dhabi. And my guest today, my special guest host with me today, is a guy I always like having on the show, uh, a guy that's always fun to talk to, breaks down things on his show. And, uh, of course, he always does a little bit better on our show because you know, that's just what we do around here. Uh, Anthony Smith, how are you, my friend? I'm good, man. I'm glad to to be back on here. We've tried it a couple of times and you know, I either forget and <laughs> mess everybody's schedule up or, or, or busy. So I'm glad to jump back on. I'm, you know what I always attribute it to? I figure it's you're probably, it's because your back's hurting from carrying the weight of Bisping on his podcast. So man, I just I'm figured that's out. probably, I figure that's probably what it is. Your back's just too hurt to come on here and do this show, man. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm worn out carrying the believe in me podcast. I just, <laughs> You know, I got my I got my co-host on there. I brought on Michael Bisbing, um, so it's good to have him on. But I, I'm definitely doing some heavy lifting. That's for sure. Man, the shoulders, the back, dude. That guy just makes you work. <laughs> just, he is, he is making me work. That's for sure. <laughs> Bisping's my boy. For anyone, this, I mean, he, he was actually the first ever co-host on this show. He co-hosted the first episode of this podcast. So really? Bisping's, yeah. Bisping's my boy. Yeah. So just make sure no one thinks I'm actually like ripping on Bisping. That's my boy. No, we just got done recording for like an hour ago. So yeah, Bisping, Bisping's my guy. Coming out uh, late tonight. He's over filming Red Sonia, dude. He's over. He, is he yeah. back now or is he still over there? No, he's still there for another three weeks. So we've been a little bit inconsistent and our schedules have been kind of messed up because he's like nine hours ahead of me. So it, it's been a, it's been a, it's been a labor to just figure out our schedules and get us together. And, you know, I got a lot going on. So I've, I've messed it up a couple of times, but we're figuring it out, man. I know that uh, some of the believers are getting upset, but we're figuring it out. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, before we get to fight stuff outside of you know, UFC 280, we're going to talk about. I wanted to ask you real quick how you're doing. Of course, uh, you had the, just the unfortunate ending of your last fight. I know you were you know dealing with a broken ankle, broken leg. Uh, did you end up having surgery already? I did. I did. I had a, a sur- I had surgery the following Saturday. About a week later, we had to let the swelling go down. Um, to be honest with you, man, I'm kind of a mess right now. Um, the ankle itself and leg is healing up really nicely. So I'm, I've been off of crutches for about, about a week now. So I've been, I've been on my own two feet for about a week. Um, started physical therapy yesterday, actually. So, you know, it's always a struggle when you're, you're, you're not used to using it and you know, it's not, my balance is off and it's not as strong and you know, just that same old battle. But, um, I guess I don't know how much people are paying attention or, or I don't even know if I've ever mentioned it too much, but, um, before I went to the night before I went to Paris, I, I had a weird allergic reaction to some meds and, uh, it was, it was pretty hairy there for a little while. It was a really bad anaphylactic reaction. I was losing my airway. I couldn't swallow. I was having a tough time breathing. I kind of barely got to the hospital in time before things got real rough. So, um, then after I got back from Paris, um, they found a blood clot in my leg. So I've been battling this blood clot for a while. Um, as you can see, I got this nasty cut on my forehead. Um, the cut itself wasn't that bad, but because I'm on so many blood thinners, um, to, to kind of combat and battle that blood clot, uh, I've been like bleeding on and off for two days because my blood's just not clotting. So, uh, yeah, man, we've been battling a little bit. We've been battling. Jeez, that's crazy. I remember talking to a guy, of course, you know, very well, Chris Weidman, you know, we talked like maybe a week or so after he had his broken leg and his surgery. And then we talked again a few months later when he had to have another surgery, you know, there's no, there's no way to predict when you're going to deal with an injury like that. Right. Like you can't just say, Oh, you're going to have surgery and you're just going to be fine. Like there's all kinds of things that can go wrong. The medicine thing, like I assume it's okay. Now it was just an allergic reaction. Like nothing that's going to affect you going forward. No, no. It was just whatever I was on. Um, it was weird because I was on it two weeks before the same med and two weeks later I take it. And for whatever reason, I've developed an allergy to it. And, uh, it's a pretty intense one apparently. So we won't be taking that anymore. <laughs> um, you know, so going through that whole song and dance and then, you know, the blood clots, a uh, a definitely a definite hiccup, you know, in my, uh, kind of return because, uh, you know, blood clots just don't go away overnight. You know, it's a, it's a long ordeal. Typically your body has to absorb it and that takes time. And the blood thinners, you can't really do anything on blood thinners. Like you can't take any shots to the head for fear of brain bleeds. You, like I can't even get massages because they don't want to dislodge it and send that some bitch straight to my lungs or something. <laughs> that, that'd be a problem. So, um, you know, it, it, you just never know what can happen, you know? And so that sucks. You know, I was, I was hoping to get back sooner because the, the injury itself is actually it's we're right on track as far as, you know, kind of my body healing up. It's just all the, the kind of the bullshit around it. That's kind of sucking. Yeah. Did they tell you, I mean, I know it's hard to say for sure. Did they tell you how long it would take to like heal and actually be able to get back into training or fight again? I know that's a real broad time because you just got to, you know, you can say six weeks till it heals or eight weeks till it heals, but then you got to deal with all the other stuff. Like, did they give you kind of a broad timeline? Like when you might be able to look at fighting again, you know, initially before the blood clot, I was hoping to fight in January. That was kind that of my, soon. That's yeah, yeah. I mean, it's probably a little bit, um, optimistic, but it's possible. But the, 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 the blood clot issue really set me back. That really set me back because you don't, I don't actually know when I'll be able to, to do all that stuff again, because it's, it's kind of on its timeline. It's kind of does its own thing. It's your body just has to absorb it. And that could take, 
a month that could take six months, you know, like that could be, it could be longer. I don't know. So I hope it's sooner rather than later, obviously. So I don't know, man, it's been kind of a rough year for me, to be honest with you. Um, you know, I fought Ryan Spann and had the, the LCL tear. Then I had the surgery, um, got staph infection from the surgery. So I had the pick line for, you know, nine weeks or whatever the hell it ended up being, um, kind of battled back from that. Once I got back to training, you know, my leg wasn't really responding the way that it was supposed to. So, you know, I had been out 10 months, um, for something that was supposed to be kind of a, a routine six week, you know, like, you know, four weeks, it should have been hundred percent, but, um, you know, I turned into a 10 month ordeal, you know, and my mom passed away. And then at the beginning, you know, right before training camp started, and then I got into camp and things were going okay. And then, you know, then I fight, I'm feeling really good. I, you know, get this injury and the, the breaks and now it's, you know, anaphylactic reaction and allergy bullshit and blood clot. And it's like, <laughs> just getting fucked around every corner. Yeah. It's like everything that can go wrong will go wrong. Oh, for sure. But you know what? I, I try to look at it as, as positively as possible. Um, and maybe it's just my turn. You know what I mean? I, I, I've, I've been super fortunate. You know, I feel like I grinded really hard and, and put, put a lot of work in and, and was super active for a lot of years. And I don't know, man, maybe it's just, it's just my turn to struggle a little bit. You know, Chris Weidman's kind of always dealt with that his whole entire career. He's been kind of injury ridden and has struggled through staying healthy and getting through camps healthy. And so, um, and I just bring him up because we're such good friends. So I, I, I know his, you know, the intricacy, intricacies of kind of his career and his path. So, you know, I, 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 it could be worse, you know, I could be battling through some of the stuff that he's battling through. So I try to keep a positive mindset, mindset about it. It's just, it's tough when you're in it though. You know, you're kind of in the, in the shit. I don't do well with idle time. So, you know, and now I can't even travel until like the end of October. So it just because of the flying issue with, with the blood clot. So it's, it all sucks. Yeah, it's weird too. Like it's one thing you don't think about with something like a blood clot. People that don't know, like how serious that is, like how big of a deal that is. So, um, Bro, yeah, I, didn't I mean, even it, know it was, I didn't even know it was that big of a deal. Like they, when I when they when I got back from Paris, I had like a lot of pain in my leg, but not where the injury was. And so my wife is a nurse, and she was like, "You got a blood clot," and I was like, "No, nah, you're <laughs> you're you're goddamn crazy. Not a chance. Like I'm young, I'm healthy, I'm active. Like no way." But apparently that has nothing to do with it. Um, so they go in, they find it, and they, they're like, all right, you're good to go home. And I remember thinking, like, it was weird the way they said that. Like, you're good to go home. Like, as if for some reason I wouldn't have been, you know. And so I go home, and I jump in, in my vehicle, and my it's already hooked up to my trailer, and I just dip. You know, I went to Wyoming, went and rode my razors up in the mountains, and, like, I don't know, I'm probably – I don't know, a quarter of the way there. And the doctor calls and he was like, all right, we need to get you back in the hospital. You know, we're going to do this, this, and this. And I was like, I'm not even close. What are you talking about? They're like, where are you? And I tell them, you know, I'm on my way to Wyoming and they flipped out. Like they only let me leave because they thought I was going home. <laughs> not no, you know, like leaving the state. So it's been like a, you know, up until today, actually, uh, I've had to do two injections in my stomach, um, twice a day on top of oral meds to, to continue to get my clotting factor where they need it. Um, as of today, I don't have to do the injections in my stomach any, at least for the meat and for right now, you know, we'll keep testing it and checking it, but, um, yeah, it's a pretty big deal. And I didn't really know that, like, you know, you don't really think about those kind of issues when you're my age and 
healthy and active. It's all acute injuries, tears, break, broken bones, concussions, cuts, you know, stuff like that. But um, yeah, I didn't know anything about it. Now I'm extremely versed in blood clots and you definitely don't want one of those kicking off into your lungs or, you know, your brain or your heart or anything. I don't, you know, I don't, I can't be on, on the, on here with you, Damon and stroking out right here on this goddamn dude. That's I know it's, I, you say that it's real. I actually know a guy, a guy that was uh, a friend of a friend who had a brain aneurysm. It was a blood clot just got knocked mm-hmm. loose. And that's it. Like when that's it, like that's, yep. I mean, that's the, and that's, I think that's what I think people probably don't understand. When you say blood clot. They don't think about it. That's how real it is. Like if it gets in your brain done, like that's, that's you know what I mean? Like, that's it. Yeah, check that's out, it. check like, out time. If you, if you got blood clots rolling around, you just better hope that it goes to your lungs first. Yeah. Like in that, and then you end up with a pulmonary embolism, which again, isn't great, but it's, it's better than a heart attack or a stroke. So, or an aneurysm or whatever. So, um, yeah, man, I'm just, again, I'm just trying to stay, it's really fucked up my schedule though. Like, you know, yeah. you know how I am. I'm, I'm moving and grooving all the time. Like I was supposed to skydive next week. Can't do that. I was supposed to be in a celebrity bull riding event a couple of weeks ago. I couldn't do that. Um, there's no roller coasters. I'm not supposed to be riding my razor. I can't, I can't even do jujitsu. Like my ankles pretty, pretty sore and weak still, but I could still roll, you know, and just really baby it. But I can't even do that because they don't want me to take any shots to the head and end up with a brain bleed or bump heads with someone or whatever. So you, I mean, you know, me, I'm, I'm always moving. I'm super active. I, I, I fill my time as much as I possibly can. Well, it's it's, it's crazy. You say I was going to, I was going to say, like, you're so busy. I was actually, when you first said about the injury, I was going to be like, well, good thing you've got all these other things going on because I know how busy you are between your show. And I joked, like, the Bisping podcast, but, like, in reality, like, this is actually knocking you from doing a lot of things. Yeah, it slowed me way down, and I hate it. It's probably, <laughs> it's probably, it's for the best because of, you know, me slowing down. It, it, so I fought on, you know, July 30th. I had surgery the following Saturday. By the, the next Thursday, I was in San Diego. And then I was in Salt Lake city and then I was in Vegas and then I was in Paris. So like, I wasn't really giving myself any time to really do anything. You know, I was back to back to back to back to back and just working events. And I was, you know, going to concerts and I was doing stuff with my kids and I was going on trips. And honestly, I probably wasn't allowing myself enough time to heal, which usually is the case. It slows me down because I don't slow down. So, you know, maybe this is a blessing in disguise. It's, you know, forcing me to stop and kick my feet up a little bit and 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 just let this thing kind of run its course yeah well i know that uh you know the unfortunate side of that is you're going to take some downtime but i know when you do have time you do have your radio show you have the podcast and you still get to play analyst uh which is what we're going to be talking about today with ufc 280 one of the biggest cards of the year as i mentioned at the top of the show uh i know you as a fight fan anthony you watch these fights you analyze these fights we all get excited for the big cards, right? Like that's just natural for all of us to get excited about the big fights. This one is ridiculous. UFC 280 is, it is an embarrassment of riches. It's huge. It's huge. And and we don't typically get those. Like maybe, I don't know. What do you think? Five years ago, they used to stack cards like this a lot. um, At least the pay-per-views. And then, you know, as time has kind of gone on, I think some of it's uh, a financial thing, you know, like you get a Connor main event, the rest of the card isn't typically super stacked. You know, it's, they're really competitive fights. They're very, very good fights, but as far as like name value and, and kind of that shock and awe, you know, I, I don't think we get those as often as we used to. And I think some of that is just the amount of cards that we have in a year. You, there's just not enough guys to stack every single pay-per-view like that. So, uh, but this is one of those times where um, I can I, I 
genuinely can't wait. And, and there's a couple of fights on there that I really need to dig deep into my analyst brain and, and really try to figure out some of these, these, I don't know, the, the small, the small details. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes my job is really easy for me. It's, there's a lot of things that jump out on a page right away. I'm like, okay, well, that's going to be a, a, a difference maker. There's a couple of fights on this card where it's going to be really, really small details that it's going to take a really, really educated person to, to really catch. Yeah, we're going to talk about the main fights in the card, probably the big like four or five fights in the card. Of course, two title fights at the top with Islam Makachev taking on Charles Oliveira and Aljamain Sterling against TJ Dillashaw. The fight I want to talk about first real quick is one that actually I believe is going to headline the prelims. Bilal Muhammad taking on Sean Brady. A really intriguing matchup. Bilal is on a real good win streak right now. Of course, Sean Brady's undefeated in the UFC. This is um, Bilal kind of risking his ranking in a way. He finally got like that top five ranking, and, and Sean Brady's a little bit behind him. Credit to Bilal for taking a fight like this, a risky fight. I said, I talked to Paul Felder. We did a year, uh, a 2022 preview going into the year, and I had Paul Felder on, and we were talking about Sean Brady, and I said, it boggles my mind that Sean doesn't get the kind of hype that Hamza got, you know, because I think prospect wise, Sean Brady's an incredible prospect. Hamza was kind of like that flash in the pan in that moment where everyone could have jumped on him. But I was like, dude, people are sleeping on Sean Brady. He got that signature win over Michael Chiesa. Now he gets a chance to maybe jump in that top five. But stylistically, I think this might be one of the worst matchups for him because Bilal Muhammad is an incredibly good wrestler. He's a grinder incredibly good cardio now it's only three rounds so he doesn't have to go five rounds but again it's a weird one because like on paper i think man sean brady he could be a guy that could knock on the door of title contention but i think right now in my opinion he's going up against one of the hardest fights for him in this entire division oh i think you can say the same thing for Bilal muhammad though absolutely if if i'm Bilal, there's no way i take this fight it's probably the worst matchup in the division for him and and it's really risking your ranking there's not a lot of reward so I, I, I want to reiterate what you said and, and really give Bilal credit because it's super, super risky and a really hard fight. Um, these guys are, are, are the again, they're the worst matchups for each other. It, I think that it's going to come down to can Bilal take him down. Uh, Sean Brady has shown tremendous takedown defense uh, against guys very similar to Bilal. I, I, maybe not a lot of people would probably do this, but I would compare Bilal Muhammad a lot to Court McGee, just not in to be fair, I think Court's probably a better striker, a little bit older, not quite as strong, um, output not quite as high. But they're similar in a lot of ways as far as their grinding, cardio-based kind of wrestling game. Um, I, I, I think that Bilal is going to be a little – I've heard Paul Felder talk a, a lot about how strong um, Sean Brady is and, and how explosive he is and what his squeeze is like. And he's really shown how well-rounded he is. So – I. I, I think this is a really tough fight for both guys. If Bilal can take Sean Brady down, he can do it consistently. Um, I think Bilal is good enough to stay safe from, from, from the top position. Um, I think the guy that ends up on top wins. I think that Sean Brady's probably the better striker, but that's, I, and maybe he's just more willing, you know, Bilal doesn't play any, he, he doesn't hide his game plan. He doesn't pretend that he's going to do something. He's not, you know what I mean? So he's going to wrestle and he's going to push the pace. He's going to push him up against the cage. He's going to try to wear on him. And, and, and I think Sean Brady's going to be prepared for that. I, I really think this is going to be a, a much closer. I think a lot of people from the outside think the Bilal is going to get smashed. And I don't, I don't see it like that, but I think it's, I, I think it's going to be super competitive. I think it's a toss up. Honestly, I think it's a toss up. I don't think it's a, I don't think it's I think a, it comes uh, down to the takedown. 
Yeah, I don't think it's one way traffic either way. I don't think, and I and they they cross each other out so easily. Like you know, you think about you think about Brady's grappling versus Bilal's wrestling, and I know that sounds Mm -hmm. kind of you know asinine. They're two kind of two the same things, but Brady's more of a grappler, submissions, real strong jujitsu. Bilal is an incredible from the top. Yeah, but from the top. And then Bilal's a really good wrestler, grinder. And if this is a five round fight, I would probably lean a lot more towards Bilal because he pushes that pace. Mm-hmm. Fourth, fifth round, can Brady hang? We saw Brady, you know, have some, I won't say struggles, but he did have some moments with Kiesa, you know, when Kiesa mm-hmm. was pushing him. Um, and that was like two guys who were extremely similar to each other with Kiesa and, and Brady. Mm-hmm. Um, I lean towards Bilal only because I'm I'm still a big believer in momentum. When you're on a roll, it's hard to stop you. And I think there's a lot of confidence from Bilal right now. And I think that I think that Bilal has that that right now where he knows he's knocking on the door of title contention. Now, he could easily overlook Sean Brady, and I think that's a huge mistake, but I don't think he's gonna do that. So I lean a little bit towards Bilal because he's been there, he's had the bigger fights, he's had these main events. You know, these kind of high profile fights. This is, I mean, I know Sean had the Bikiasa fight. I don't want to discount that one, but he hasn't had a lot of those moments. So I lean a little bit towards Bilal, but I won't be shocked if Brady pulls this off whatsoever. I, I w- I'm really high on Sean Brady. I kind of hate they have to fight each other because they are so yeah. similar. I'd kind of like to see them fight other kinds of guys, but. I'm leaning Bilal, but, you know, I know people are going to say, oh, pick a, pick a fight. I'm picking Bilal, but I won't be shocked if Brady pulls it off. Oh man, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm, I'm, I'm leaning below. I think the experience is, is a huge factor. Um, I like the, I don't know, the pressure based kind of grind that Bilal brings to it. I, I think you're hundred, hundred percent spot on, on the momentum and kind of how Bilal is going to look at himself going into this fight. Um, he's been there before, you know, he's been in some, some, some grindy, shitty situations. He's been deep. Uh, he's been in deep water before. And I, and I do believe that he can get the takedown. Um, and I think that that's what it comes down to. Now, if Sean Brady, you know, Bilal is predictable. That's the the one knock that I would ever really have on Bilal. You know what he's going to do. There's there's no secrets there. Um, and even if he wanted to, his game is at striking base. So it, there's not a shit ton of threat there to Sean Brady. So I would, I would suspect that they're going to work very, very hard on this takedown defense. Now, can he close that gap? in the amount of time that he's had since he's known about the fight, I don't know. We're going to find out, but if he can't, and he can't consistently stop takedowns, like if he can't stop four out of five or five out of six around the, he can't, I don't think he can be, I don't think he can be below Muhammad. Yeah, I agree. Totally agree. Talk about uh, high risk. I won't say low reward because again, a win's a win in the UFC. It still means something regardless, but it is high risk, low reward. Is is excuse me is uh, is Benil Dariush coming back taking on Matush Gamera? Of course, Matush coming off a big win in his last fight, first main event. Armin Sarukin, incredible five round fight. I've been very high on Matush. I remember talking to him when he got signed to the. I'll never forget. I texted him when he got signed by the UFC and I actually got a response from Ioana and Jacek, who was there with him, joking with me saying, now that he's in the UFC, you have to go through me to talk to him. It was really funny. Uh, but Matush Gamera, I've been high on him since KSW. He had an incredibly close fight in his debut, and then since then he's looked just incredible. Great team down in American Top Team. But I am so high on Benil Darius. I don't think this guy gets nearly enough credit because Benil is such a quiet guy. He's never going to be the guy to say crazy things. And even, like, even if you think about like, Islam Makachev, like, you know, he says, like, you know, the, I'm going to smash you, like the, the old school Khabib kind of trash talk. But, like, he's never, you know, he's typically not the guy to say crazy things about his opponent. Benil will say less than that. Benil is not going to say bad things about anybody. Um, and 
he had the he had the injury that knocked him out of the Makachev fight. This could have been him if he had beaten Islam. Unfortunately, he doesn't. He doesn't get it back. And I'll be honest, Anthony, I love I love the Dustin Poirier Michael Chandler fight. We all love that fight, right? Like we all want to see that fight. But in the back of my head, I'm like, Benil got done dirty a little bit. Like I'm not saying I don't love that fight, but and I'm not knocking Benzouj Gamra, but come on. Realistically, Benil should have got one of those two guys, right? Like he should have gotten Chandler, he should have gotten Poirier. If you're not gonna give him Makachev, which I understand, you're not gonna give him the title fight. Again, I understand. Come on, like the guy can't get like one of the other top five guys. Man, I you know. Oh shit. Fuck you have to edit that out. God damn. <laughs> um uh, at the end of the day, though, yeah, I, I'm not surprised. He's, he's I'm not, not either. I'm not either. He's not super active. And at some point in time, you're responsible for your own popularity. If it's not trash talk, then you got to find a. Everybody's interesting. You just got to find it. Now, I think I think Benil, by being uninteresting, is is interesting. He's just a regular guy. He's a super normal phenom when it comes to jujitsu. He, he he's just not active enough. You got to keep reminding people. You really do. And and I'm fortunate. You know, people are going to say, "Well, you're not that active recently. You you fought once last year. You fought once the year before." Like, uh. I'm, but I'm in the public eye a lot. I'm on the desk. I'm on interviews. I do podcasts. I, you know what I mean? Like I've, I'm, I'm busy. I'm, I'm out there enough to where it, it makes a difference. So he's not doing any of that stuff. He's got to, he's got to put himself out there a little bit. Um, and he's got to find a way to generate some interest to, uh, to be fair to him. I would suspect that Chandler and Poirier don't want that fight. So I'm not saying they turned it down. I don't know if they were even offered it. Um, but that's going to be a tough sell to either one of those guys. So, because it's risky. He's not super well-known. There's not a lot of money that are going to be chasing. There's not a lot of money in that fight. There's not a lot of negotiating power in either one of those fights, for either, or at least for either one of those guys. There is with each other. So if you're going to be in a tough fight, it might as well be for a lot of money versus someone who's super well-known. Why do you want one of the toughest fights for you in the division against a guy that nobody knows for your normal paycheck? You know? So I yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately for Benil comes down to finances. <clears throat> I still love the Gamrot fight though. The MMA nerd in me loves that fight. Now, as far as the, the, the casual fan that's just scrolling through there, you know, maybe that's not their thing, but I, I really enjoyed the Sarukian fight uh, with Gamrot. I, I thought his wrestling and grappling is some of the best scrambles and grappling exchanges I've seen in a really, really long time. And I'm looking forward to seeing how kind of his scrambling wrestling positional base game really kind of mixes and melts with um, Benil's, you know, crazy power in his hands and his willingness to exchange, but also like sharpshooter type grappling. Uh, I think that matchup's really interesting to me. Yeah, I, I love the matchup. And it's really intriguing, too, because I think people like I'm guilty of this, too, because Benil, when I first talked to Benil, when he first got in the UFC, I pegged him so much as a grappler. And he is. He's a tremendous jujitsu guy. And we saw what he did to Tony Ferguson, just taking him down at will and just beating on him and, you know, really just hammering away and, and doing that to a lot of guys. But he's got real power in his hands and he's really yeah. developed his striking. Like when he knocked out, um, God, why am I not thinking the the one, the one, the one knockout? He had Scott Holtzman. He knocked him out with the, with the, with the, I think it was a spinning back elbow, spinning back fist. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's got tremendous power, and I think that and and Matush Gamrot's a really good wrestler too. Again, they cancel each other out in a lot of ways, you know. In that, I know, 
you know, you you I would probably say Matush is probably the better overall wrestler, but I don't know that he I don't know that he wants to play that game with Bino Darius because you know, do you really want that guy grabbing at triangles, grabbing at legs, grabbing at arms? You know, that's just that's a, why it's so a, interesting to me. Like, what's his game plan going to be? And on the feet, I think Matush is faster, but Benil hits like a truck. I mean, mm-hmm. that dude hits really hard and. Like, how old is Benil? Uh, he's thirty-two, I think. Thirty-two or thirty-three, I want to say. Really? He's not that. He's, he's not. He's not that old. Hold on, let me look. Hold on, you're making me look now. He is thirty-three. He is thirty-three. Yeah, he's got oh, that I'm gray sorry, hair. Is what thought, he's got I, that. Yeah, he's got that gray he hair. <laughs> yeah, he's got that gray hair that kind of throws you off. He's got that gray hair that kind of throws you off there a little well, bit. But he yeah. doesn't kick my ass for calling him. Older. I thought he was <laughs> older than that. No, thirty-three. But that's like I just. Again, stylistically, like this is such a fun matchup, and I love Matush Gamrod. This is a huge opportunity for him. Like I said, I'm not saying that there's a risk and a reward in every fight. I don't care who you're fighting, but there's less for him because he's not a you know he's not as highly ranked. He's not mm-hmm. as established. You know what I mean? So it's like, you know, he's risking. Obviously, he's risking it because he's fighting in the UFC. We all know that. But, um, but Neil's got the ranking, but Neil's guy one fight away from a title shot. You know what I mean? So Matush gets to go in there and kind of be free, do his thing. But man, I just, I, I, think, I think like it's super risky for Benil. It like, is. It, and there's, and you might be right. I don't want to say that there's no reward, but there's not really a lot of reward. Like you beat a guy that on paper you're supposed to beat because he's ranked lower and you don't really get a lot of like recognition or name value out of it either. So it's a tough one. But so again, credit to him. It's just happening a lot more and more. These bigger name, higher ranked, you know, guys are are, are taking more dangerous fights and, and just kind of fighting whoever. Uh, and I like it. Yeah, I like it too. So pick wise, who are we going with? I, I listen, I think I have, to, I, have a, to, I have to take Benil. I have yeah. to. He hasn't he hasn't given me a reason not to. Um he's he's been preparing, he's been in, he's he's got the tougher strength of schedule. I think he's got the bigger wins. I think that he's been preparing. Obviously he was in a training camp for a guy like Islam. Um, I, I think just all the way around, he's got just more experience at a higher level. Yeah, I agree. I'm going with Benil as well. I like Matush. I think he's got, you know, that top five material in him, but I just think this might be a little bit too much too soon for him. Benil's Super, super tough. I think he's going to be really motivated too, because you know, like I don't think Benil feels like he got passed over because he knows he got injured and he missed out on the Makachev mm-hmm. fight. That's just the way the sport goes. And when I talk, I talked to him a couple of weeks ago. Like he did, he wasn't disappointed in this fight. He loves this fight. Like he's not like you know crying over spilled milk and saying I got wronged or you know you didn't do the right mm-hmm. by me. He wasn't. He wasn't complaining. He likes this matchup, and I think right there. He's taking it serious. He's not looking that at Matush as like this, you know, as some bum who doesn't deserve to be in there with him. He's taking it serious. He's actually excited for it. So I'm like, you know what? Again, will he, you know, because I, I said for a long time, I thought like Benil Dariush is the guy I think would give a guy like Charles Oliveira problems because Charles can't, like Charles can out jujitsu almost everyone. I don't think he can out jujitsu Benil Dariush. Now, can he knock him out in the feet? Sure, he could do those kind of things, but that would be a really intriguing matchup on the ground because you're not going to just out jujitsu Benil Dariush. Makachev, I think, would be a tougher fight for him because of the wrestling and the control and the power and things like that. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think it's going to take one of those kind of guys. Like, I actually think Darius would have a great chance against a Poirier or a Chandler as well just because of who he is and how he fights. It'd be a really interesting fight with those guys. Um, but, yeah, I'm just, again, it's going to take something for me. It's going to take a, it's going to take a certain kind of matchup for me to pick against Benil Darius right now, and I just, I just can't go against him in this fight. No, no, man, I, I totally agree with you. I can't, I can't either. Just on 
principle, you know what I mean? On because of his his skills and abilities and and where I kind of hold him in the division. If I'm if I'm there's not a lot of guys I'd pick over him for sure in the top five. I'm definitely not gonna pick Gamrod over him. Yeah. So we got two title fights, but I got one more fight we're going to talk about real quick. Maybe one of the most intriguing fights on the entire card, a fight that I think a lot of people never saw coming. Peter Yan against Sean O'Malley. Out of nowhere, Peter Yan coming off the title fight, split decision loss. I thought he was going to end up fighting uh, uh, Marab Dwalishvili. I thought that was going to be kind of you know kind of keep that rivalry going with the with the Sterling team. And Marab's been on a great run, or maybe out you know one of those kind of fights, uh, Aldo, which is what he ended up you know something like that. I thought, I thought that was going to be where he was going to go. The Aldo rematch, whatever. Yon was going to get another one of his top guys. Did not see Sean O'Malley coming. Yeah. Everyone has complained about Sean O'Malley not fighting top competition. I'm among them saying the guy has not fought the best guys in the floor yet. No one can claim that now. Oh, yes, they can. Yes, they can. (laughs) Well, I'm saying he got young. He got young. But I'm going to tell you why, in my opinion. I think that Sean O'Malley is very smart with his matchmaking. I think that he's very, very calculated. And I'm not saying this as a knock. I'm not, uh, I think more people need to be better about maybe doing that. You know, like maybe my path of just fighting anyone, anytime, any place, maybe that's not the greatest path to success in the end. You know, it's taking the, it's the biggest fight with the biggest name guy for the most money. That's the easiest. <laughs> and, and that maybe that's the path. I don't know, but I will tell you that there are a lot of guys that are ranked below Piotr Jan that Sean O'Malley would have a tougher time with. I think that there was an availability. I think that stylistically, uh, Jan is a good matchup for a guy like Sean O'Malley. He's shorter. He's stockier. Uh, he's got a really large reach disadvantage. Um, I think the way that he fights uh, favors the style of Sean O'Malley. Like, there's a world that exists where you can see Sean O'Malley getting over on Piotr Jan, Correct. Yeah, I can see it. I can see it. Is that is that world as clear if it's I don't know, let's say I don't who just fought? We just had two thirty. Corey Sandhagen was yeah, one that I was thinking. That's a perfect example. Yeah. Is that world as clear if it's Corey Sandhagen? No, not at all. Not not at all. The path is not nearly as clear as it is with Peter yeah. And that's that's, true. that's kind of my point. I think that he's very smart. I think he took an opportunity to skip a lot of people that are gonna give him problems. Because I again I really like Sean O'Malley. I love his game. Um, but even a guy like if they run it back with Cheeto, I, I, I think that that's still a very, very, I think that's a tough one. You know, I'm not saying he can't beat him. He can absolutely win. He looked, he looked great in their first fight, but that's a tough fight. I think he has a tougher time with Cheeto than he does Piotr Jan. I think he has a tougher time with Corey Sandhagen than he does with Piotr Jan. And, and I think he knows that. So credit to him. I think it's a fantastic fight. I think it's a stylistic dream to get the number two guy uh that happens to have that skill set i mean you got you look at the aljamain sterling matchup you look at the the tj dillashaw like those are all very very tough matchups for sean o'malley piotr yon out of all of them is probably the easiest yeah you're probably right and he does have the shorter frame we know we know that peter yon also has a a slow start which doesn't favor him in a three-round fight you know he's kind of a bit of a slow starter that way but I tell you what, what intrigues me about this one is, and listen, I like Sean O'Malley. And when I when I say that, it means I'm about to say something negative about him. I was going to say, but <laughs> but he's a front runner. 
He's a guy, if he can control the pace, he can push you around, he can bully you, he'll win. He couldn't do that to Cheeto Vera. And Cheeto, right. you know, beat him. And 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 I don't and not saying that like the Munoz fight was not going his way before the ending, but it it was not having a it was not a great fight up to that point for him. He wasn't bullying Pedro right. Munoz. He just wasn't. And when he couldn't, it kind of stalled out. They just kind of stalled out in front of each other. Peter There's a large Yon, chance that happens. Yeah, Peter Yawn hits hard. And he's a really good stroke. The way he outstruck Corey Sanhagen blew me away. Did not mm-hmm. see that coming. I thought, man, he's going to have to do some different things to be Corey Sanhagen. Had no. one bad round, <laughs> first round, and then blew the doors off the rest of the fight. It was amazing, amazing performance. Um, and you could argue, you could try to make an argument he beat Sterling. I don't think he did. I thought, you know, Aljamain clearly won the rematch, but it was a good fight, especially mm-hmm. in the third, fourth, and fifth round. I just... I like Sean, but I just I, I just think this is too much too soon. I just think if he can and, and and that's what Peter Yan does not get bullied. You know what I mean? He does not get bullied. You look at like when Aljamain finally got him down in their rematch, even then Aljamain, who is maybe the best grappler in the Bantamweight division, I'm not talking about like Ronnie Yaya, I'm talking about like at the top of the division, like right. in terms of pure wrestling and grappling, he's incredible. Couldn't put him away. Peter Yan could not mm-hmm. be put away. Unless Sean O'Malley gets in one of those kind of freaky situations where he grabs onto him and takes him down. I think people forget, like, Sean O'Malley, when he first came in, a lot of people thought he was a jiu-jitsu guy. Now we know he's a striker. He's a good striker. Um, Unless he gets in one of those moments, he's not going to bully Peter Yan. I don't think he can do that to him. And I just, I just, I think this is too much too soon. If Peter Peter Yan comes out and he starts taking distance and he's walking Sean O'Malley down, that's going to be the indicator right there. If Sean O'Malley can can back off Piotr Jan a little bit, kind of how he did Munoz, and get him to kind of stare at each other in a mirror, then that's kind of where I think that's where Sean O'Malley is going to have his greatest opportunity. But if Piotr Jan comes in, he's mean, he's angry, he lost his title, he's trying to get back to it, and he starts just walking him down and walking through all his bullshit, it's going to be a long night for Sean O'Malley. Yeah, I agree. And Listen. Or a very short one. Yeah, it could be very short. I mean, I just like you're right. Stylistically, this is more favorable than say Corey Sandagen. I fully mm-hmm. agree. Corey Sandagen, long rangey striker. He's gonna match distance for distance with a guy like O'Malley, hundred percent. But Peter, Peter, I mean, there's been like I said when Peter Yan, other guys that Peter Yan has fought, I, I had the same kind of thought. Like he's a shorter, stockier, slower starter. I'm like, okay, this is gonna be bad for him, and it didn't. I mean, the way he went out there and and, and just, I mean, he took it to Aldo. I mean, that was, I mean, Aldo, you know, of course he just retired. Jose Aldo's a legend. The way he took out, took out Jose Aldo was incredible. And again, I think this is a five round fight. I think I I would be lopsidedly in favor of of Peter Yan because I just thought he gets better as the fight goes on. The, but even the three in three rounds, things, the three round, the three round fight does make me a little nervous. Cause it's if he drops little, one round, if he drops one round, yeah, like the first round, uh, he's got to get going. He doesn't have any more opportunities. Yeah. He's but I just get going. And I don't know if he likes being forced like that. I think he yeah. likes to work himself into it, you know, like have a little bit of a slow first round. We can go slow through the first half of the second and just move our, well, you can't do that in three rounds. You don't have that much time. It makes me wonder, though, like, I remember when he, and I know this is a much different stylistic matchup, but it reminds me, though, when he got matched up with Faber, that was a three-round fight, and he just came out there and took it to him. He, now, again, I know Faber is not Sean O'Malley, but I'm saying, like, he just didn't, he didn't waste time, and I wonder how much of that 
slow start is the pacing himself for five rounds too, because he's been a lot of five round fights recently too. You know, you do pace yourself and he seems to get stronger as the fight goes on. He's also really smart because when you look at what Corey Sanhagen did to him in the first round, it's like Jan adjusted between rounds and then Corey couldn't do that to him anymore. Like Corey Mm -hmm. couldn't do what he was doing anymore. I just, O'Malley likes being a front runner. He likes bullying people. And when he can't bully you, I just don't think he's the same guy. Cheeto wouldn't allow it. And he, and he, and he struggled. And then again, Munoz, again, not, not a lot happened in that fight, but Munoz didn't back down. Munoz wasn't like, you're chasing me. You have to chase me. No, he stood right there in front of him. And O'Malley was, they were frozen. They didn't really throw. They were just kind of like waiting for one guy to, to pull the trigger. I don't think you can do that. I think Peter Jan is going to walk him down. He's going to close the distance. Uh, and I think this is going to be, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of, it's kind of like, remember like when back in the day when like George St. Pierre lost to Matt Hughes, he got tapped out early and like, everyone's like, Oh man, he's still not quite there. That's again, I know, you know, we're talking about Sean O'Malley versus George St. Pierre. It's a whole different story, but I think this is just too much too soon for him. It is a more favorable matchup. I, I 100% you're right on that, but I just, I can't pick him to beat Peter Jan. Peter Jan is so good. And I'm a Peter, I am a Peter Jan believer. Like I am fully a Peter Jan believer. Um, I don't know that he'll beat Aljamain in a rematch. I think he would beat a TJ Dillashaw if that ever happened. I just, I think Peter Jan is the second best bantamweight in the world. And I just can't pick Sean O'Malley at this stage. It's to beat him. I just can't. I'm, I'm going to go against the grain a little bit. I, I, I just have this feeling that Jan is going to get stuck on the outside. I don't think. I don't think that Sean O'Malley is going to finish him. I don't think there's going to be anything crazy. I think Piotr Jan's going to have a tough time getting to him. And I, and I think that Sean does a really good job of letting, of kind of running people into shit sometimes. And I, I just think he's going to do it. He was very similar in the, in the Munoz fight. I think it's going to be close like that. I don't think it's going to be as exciting as we all want it to be. I think it's going to look very similar to the Pedro Munoz fight where he's just kind of on the outside and just picking at him. And it's just, I think the numbers are just going to add up. Yeah. So you're going Sean O'Malley. I am. Wow. Sean O'Malley. Crazy. You might be one of the, I mean, again, I feel like a lot of people are high. But if you put Sean O'Malley versus Corey Sandhagen, I choose Corey. I'd pick Corey Sandhagen all day. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, and 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 I don't know Corey Sandhagen. So it doesn't make any sense. And the weird thing is, is like, I wouldn't pick Sean O'Malley to beat Sterling or Dillashaw. I just, I wouldn't pick him to beat either. You know, I, one of those guys, like I just wouldn't pick him at that point, but again, I'm going with Jan, but you're, you're absolutely right in what you're saying though. Like I said, if he does what you're saying, yeah, I see him winning this fight. And when you say that about the stylistic matchup, you're absolutely correct. Like this is an easier, and when I say easier, I don't mean it like as a knock on Peter Jan saying size wise, this is an easier fight than like a Corey Sandhagen. And as we said, like this is, Mm -hmm. this is stylistically a more favorable matchup for him. Or Um, a guy with like the creativity angles, stance switches and wrestling of Dillashaw. Yeah. That's, that's a tough one. You yeah. Know, and I still a, think Cheeto, I still think Cheeto's a tough matchup for O'Malley. Like we, I'm I mean, we sure saw I it before, but over Cheeto either, you know what yeah. I mean? So it's a weird, it's a weird deal. I think he's smart. I think he's very self-aware. Um, and I, and I think he, I think he grabbed a hold of the best matchup possible at the top of the division and I can't knock him for it. You know what you know it reminds me of, and I'm bringing this up because you're going to laugh when I say this. It reminds me of what you always used to say. When we talk on the podcast about Jake Paul. You know, so like yeah. Jake Paul's picking these fights. Like you know, you know, like you know, they're they're big matchups, but they're fights you know he's going to win. Mm-hmm. I know it's a different thing. But it's a little bit like it's a smart choice, right? Like he picked it the is. right guy. Like he picked the it right is. guy to try to get to the top of the division. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook 
an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. Don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And new customers to DraftKings can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I totally agree. And I think Piotr is like, I'm going to smash this kid. So yeah, he's got a big name and it's a, it's a highlighted opportunity for him to kind of get his own self out there a little bit. I think it's good for both guys. Yeah. Let's talk about the Bantamweight title fight. Aljamain Sterling going up against TJ Dillashaw. Of course, TJ came back from the two year drug suspension, got a win over uh Corey Sanhagen let me be clear I've said this on the show many many times I'll say it again now he didn't win that fight yeah I don't I don't I don't he didn't win that fight nope (laughs) he didn't I'm glad I'm not uh, the only one yeah no I I and that's not one of those ones where I'm like I could see it the other way I don't see it the other way I don't see how you score TJ Dillashaw winning that fight I really don't um fight though Oh, incredible fight. Don't incredible see him fight. winning the fight. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, you know, great fight. No, he didn't win. Um, and then he has a year off with the knee injury again. I like, I had a, I don't want to get like too deep in the woods on this one, Anthony, but like I had a, I, I, I wasn't like banging the drum upset, but I was a little bummed that he got the title shot. Like when Aldo was out there, when Aldo had won three in a row, beat, beat, you know, Rob Font was looking really good. And I know we can look in hindsight and say Aldo retired. It would have been cool to see him get one more shot at the title before he retired. I, I know we're all saying that in hindsight. But I said this before the Mirab fight. I thought, man, Aldo probably deserved it, honestly. Three-fight win streak looked good, really good in those three fights. Mm-hmm. Be- beat Cheeto Vera, beat Rob Font. I was like, this guy deserves it. And, and he didn't get it. It is what it is. And listen, we can ba- we can hit, we can complain all day. I have a lot of issues with USADA and WADA. I just watched a special the other night about WADA and like the corruption that goes on over there. Like I have a lot of issues with drug testing in this sport, but I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to harp on that too much right now, but I do have an issue with a guy who openly used EPO got suspended for two years, comes back, wins a controversial decision, sits out another year and then gets a title shot. Now I'm not, I'm not saying TJ Dillashaw is not great. And I'm not saying he, you know, he's an incumbent champion, all these kind of things. But I mean, Henry Cejudo knocks out TJ Dillashaw, knocks out Dominic Cruz, retires. He's coming back. He's, he would be eligible to fight in October. That's when his six month mm-hmm. USADA thing would be up. Like, 
if they gave Cejudo a title shot, I'd have way less of a problem with it than them giving TJ <laughs> Dillashaw a title shot. I'm 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 not uh, I'm not disagreeing with you there at all. <laughs> I thought it was weird. Um, I don't understand it. Um, I wish I could sit here and, and even theorize why that's happening. I don't have an answer for you. I don't know. I think it's odd. I think it's a good fight. <laughs> you know, like, and I think that's the part that sucks. Is it? It's a very good fight. So it's hard to not, I don't know. I don't want to shit on it because it's such a good fight, but I also don't understand why he's in it. Yeah. So stylistically, you know, TJ, when he was at his peak at Bantamweight, you know, you could argue he was on his way, potentially on his way to becoming the greatest Bantamweight of all time, you know, taking out Cody the way he did a couple times, you know, and I, I actually, if I remember correctly, I actually think I scored him beating Dominic Cruz, but it was a really good fight. That was a really close fight. Like that was a really, really close fight. Um, again, I, that's one where I'm like, I don't have a problem with Dominic winning, but I think I scored it for TJ, but a very close fight going. And again, you can say what you want about Cody since then. Cody has not been great. You know, he got knocked out twice by TJ. He's never been the same, all those kind of things. But I still think TJ Dillashaw taking out Hayden Burrell the way he did when Hayden was on top of the world. Everyone thought he was the, you know, God's gift to bantamweights. And then he mm-hmm. takes him out twice in a row. Uh, TJ Dillashaw is an incredibly good bantamweight, but two years away, another knee surgery on top of the shoulder surgeries he already had. I didn't think he looked great in the Sanhagen fight. I think the only thing Sanhagen did was he took his foot off the gas a little bit and that cost him. I don't think TJ did anything in that fight that was like, Oh man, TJ's back. Like, man, he is back. Um, I just, I don't, I don't know what to expect from TJ Dillashaw and I know what to expect from Aljamain Sterling. I think Aljamain still fights with a chip on his shoulder. You know, people still kind of give him crap for the yawn fight. Um, I think he's still going to be underrated going into this fight, which is a little crazy to me considering he's the incumbent champion and he's been active in TJ Aslan, but TJ's got the reputation, but the human backpack factor, the striking is there. He's a bigger, physically stronger bantamweight than I think TJ fought a few years ago. Like I think the bantamweight division has grown and guys have grown and got bigger. TJ mm-hmm. used to be kind of one of the bigger guys. He's not anymore. Um, I like Aljamain in this fight. I just think Aljamain's got the grappling. He's got the cardio. He's got good enough striking not to go out there and get crazy with TJ. Um, I know TJ's got incredibly good wrestling. He doesn't really use it that often, but he's got really good wrestling. But I think I think Aljamain's got the scrambles. He's got the jiu-jitsu. And I'm high on Aljamain Sterling. I'm, I'm picking Aljamain Sterling. I think he's going to win this fight. I think he's going to catch him in a submission. He's going to choke him out. I think he's going to do it. I think he's going to do that. You know, bef- before... Before the second Jan fight, I'm not sure I would have picked Aljo over Dillashaw. But, I, you know, I, I waited to see what Aljo was going to look like in this, in that rematch. And or, I don't know. I heard Aljo make some, some excuses, right, leading into the second fight. I, this was going on. I was injured. I was not training as hard. You know, I wasn't able to train the way I wanted to. There was a couple of them. I was like, well, we'll see when you guys fight. We'll see how true that really is. And I believe him, you know, I, I think we got a, a much closer version of the real Aljo in that second fight. Now, if that same version shows up against TJ Dillashaw, I think we got some serious problems. I don't see TJ Dillashaw dominating the wrestling with Aljamain Sterling. It's just not going to happen. I think his striking is good enough um, to stay safe, like you said, and not do anything crazy. And, and I think he's going to, I think he's a better scrambler. I think he's a better finisher. I, I think he's the more dangerous finisher, especially in those scrambly exchanges and the, the, the bad part about TJ style is it's so free and flowy that he does end up in a lot of scrambles and ends up ends up, and he ends up in a lot of weird positions. 
because he is so comfortable. You can't do that with a guy like Aljo. So I am also picking Aljamain Sterling. Yeah, I just think this. I think this is the fight where Aljo kind of gets his respect a little bit, you know, because you can say the Peter Jan rematch. It was really close. Again, I thought Aljamain won, especially. I thought, he, yeah, I still think he should have got a ten eight round. I know people are going to argue it wasn't a ten eight round. Whatever. I thought he won the fight, mm-hmm. and it was a close fight though. Split decision. Peter Jan had a great late part of the fight. Aljamain was strong early. Um but I think this is kind of his coming out party a little bit. I think this is the one that's going to like kind of convince people that Aljamain is as good as maybe people like myself have been saying he is for a couple of years now that he didn't, he didn't get that respect as much coming out of the on fights. I get it. I think this is the one where he gets it. I think this is the one where he looks impressive and people are like, wow, we got to pay attention to Aljamain Sterling. Now like, we got to give this dude his respect. I a hundred percent agree. I, th- this is, I think that the, the pressure of that is going to be greater than the pressure of the title. Because uh, this one's big. This one's big. It feels big. It feels different. Um, and and I think a win over TJ Dillashaw really shuts up a lot of people. I really it do. I think Aljo knows that. Yeah, and I think again, I think I think, I think Aljo fights more. I think he gets more out of it. Like, of course, he'll get paid. He'll retain his title. But I think there's a lot of intrinsic value in a win over TJ Dillashaw that you can't really put a number on. Absolutely, absolutely. And this is like I said. This is. Uh... This is the one where I think he, I think he, I think Aljo still fights with a chip on his shoulder, and I think that I think that benefits him. I think he always feels like he's the underdog, and I think that benefits him. If there comes a day where he's like, "I'm just going to kill this guy, I'm going to blow this guy," maybe that's where he gets caught. Maybe that's where somebody gets him. But I think as long as he fights with that chip on his shoulder, he's going to be tough to beat because people keep underrating him, and and I think that I think that works to his advantage, honestly. I dude, I 100 agree. He has a very, he is very much a beginner's mindset where he's he's always trying to prove something he's always trying to convince you like i'm i I can do this i'm gonna be this good i'm he it kind of sounds crazy sometimes and and i like him for it but he's always trying to convince you and there's a lot of times we're like aljo i believe you like you (laughs) gotta convince me i know how good you are it's it's not me you gotta convince and but that mindset is is what has made him so great yeah all right it's the big one it's the other title fight technically a vacant title come on let's be honest charles Oliveira is the champion he's the champion charles Oliveira taking on islam makachev uh incredible fight of course charles has looked unbelievable 11 fight win streak i think seven or eight nine finishes along the way coming off beating justin gaethje choking out justin gaethje choking out dustin poirier uh you know knocking out michael chandler uh, Islam Makachev on, I think, a 10-fight win streak, uh, unbeaten, coming off the win over Bobby Green, coming off the win over Dan Hooker. This is such a fun matchup on so many levels, and I know a lot of people are ri- are ready to anoint, you know, Makachev is the, the you know, Khabib 2.0. He's Khabib's boy. That's his guy. You know, that's his, that's his coach, and that now it's his student. Um, everyone's right, re- but man, I, once this kind of feels a little bit like not quite as much as the Aljamain Sterling fight, but once again, it feels like, are we forgetting how good Charles Oliveira is? Like why I'm not saying Makachev isn't good. He is, he's incredibly good, but are we so fast to anoint him as Khabib 2.0 that we're forgetting what Charles Oliveira has done to the best of the best? In this division, that's one thing Makachev can't say yet. He has not done that against Gaethje. He has not done that against Poirier. He has not done that against Chandler. Charles Oliveira has. Uh, Damon, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it anymore. I always, always like, I don't want to say discredit, but I, I always doubt Charles Oliveira. 
And then afterwards, I tell myself, fuck, why do you do that? <laughs> like, because I have a lot of respect for that guy. But then, you know, even going into the Poirier fight, I'm like, well, Poirier is kind of the uncrowned champion here. And, and you know, I, I, I believe in Charles Oliveira, but I mean, I think Poirier gets this done. And I did the same thing with Chandler. And I, like, I'm not doing it anymore. Even though my, I start digging deep into the details and I start watching film and I'm like, I don't know. I don't, maybe, maybe he just gets controlled and he can't cap. I'm not doing it. I'm sticking to my gut. I think Charles Oliveira beats Islam. I do. I think when you're as dangerous on the ground as Charles Oliveira, when, when you're as dangerous of a finisher as he is, when you're so willing to, uh, when you're, when you're not afraid of something, it takes all the power away from it. Everybody that Islam has fought for the most part has been terrified of his wrestling in his top game. It's the same thing with Habib. When you're not afraid of that and, and you have no fear of it at all, I, I think that takes some of the power away from it. I think that, Charles attacks so much and creates so many scrambles and, and can do that over an entire 25 minute fight. If he had to, I think that that's going to nullify at the very least, uh, Islam's top game and his, in his wrestling. And I think Charles Oliveira is a better striker. I think that he's more powerful on his feet. I think he finds shots better. I think he attacks the body better. Um, and, and I think he can neutralize the wrestling at the very least, or at yeah. least I think he can, I don't think he's going to get controlled. I think that he attacks submission after submission after submission until eventually Islam's going to have to retract and pull out of something. And I think that he's going to get, I think he's going to stand up straight to his feet. That's best case for Islam is that he gets back to his feet. Worst case is that you retract, you start pulling out of submissions and he goes to your back or, or he latches onto something else. I, I just think he's going to attack, 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 attack until he either finds something or gets back to his feet. And I think he wins the striking exchanges and I would yeah. not be shocked. I would not be shocked to see Charles Oliveira get a takedown. Just now, it's not going to be your typical doubles and singles and shit like that. But I, I would not be shocked to see him end up on the fence and start crawling to some sort of weird clinch and then dragging Islam down, tripping him up or something like that. I would, it would not blow me away. You know what's interesting? Um, I, I knew they were with me, right? I, I do agree with you actually, <laughs> but it's but I was I was doing a little bit of stats before the before we did the podcast. Three and a half reach advantage for Charles. That's a big mm -hmm. deal on the feet. He's got a long reach over over uh, Islam. And what Islam does, very similar to Habib, their style of wrestling, they're not blast double guys. They're not the guys who are going to go out there and blast double you like Josh Koscheck used to do where he drive guys across a cage to get a takedown. They push you against the cage, and then they get the takedown from there. They mm -hmm. push you against the cage, and they get the, they get the legs from there to take you down. And once they're on top of you, it's like a bear on top of you. The problem is those clinch situations, Charles loves those situations. He will jump on he your back from those. <laughs> he will jump on your back from there. And and it only takes one mistake against Charles Oliveira. One. You don't get two with him, generally. You don't get two mistakes. You make one, he's on your back, he's under mm -hmm. your neck, and you're choking, you're choked out, or you're tapping out. That guy is again, talk about momentum. He's on such a run right now. And for the first time, and again, this entire time. We all talk about how good he is, but we all talk about, we all kind of doubt him. I'm just like you. I said, Poirier, man. God, Poirier's striking is so good. He's got, Poirier's jiu-jitsu is legit. He's a black belt. 
you know, he's actually got pretty decent wrestling. I was like, I just, I just don't think Charles can hang with him on the feet. Chandler, I was like, man, Chandler hits so freaking hard. Chandler's an incredible wrestler. He's not going to get caught in those scrambles. And I did the to, same thing. And to Chandler's credit, he actually did get out of a back position with Charles. To to Chandler's mm-hmm. credit, he actually did survive that in the first round. Then he ended up getting it, you know, got got caught with him in the second round. And then Gaethje, I was like, oh my god, Gaethje, he's just such a monster. He's a Terminator. He's just going to walk through. You know, he's a legit NCAA Division One wrestler. You know, he doesn't use it much, but he's got it. So you're not going to be able to do those kind of things to him. Wrong. Three times in a row. (laughs) Three times in a row. And I'm like you, I'm done. I'm done big against Charles Oliver. I'm done. He's got until he loses, I'm done. I'm done. It wouldn't matter if it was they were like, all right, Charles Oliver versus uh Francis and Gunner. Like (laughs) fuck it. I'm Charles. (laughs) I'm done doubting him because and not only just because I yeah, I for whatever reason I just I don't I don't know why I I always I honestly he's the only guy I've ever done it with. Where I'll just praise him and praise him and praise him and praise him and then pick against him. I don't know why I do that. Uh, and, and it's not just because I'm just saying that. I believe it when I do it. I'm like, ah, oh, he's, you know, the same issues with Gaethje, the power in his hands, his wrestling ability, his, his wild man mentality, Portier's technical striking coupled with his power, with his takedown defense and his good grappling. Like, I'll come up with every reason why, a- after I'll praise Charles for an hour, I'll come up with every reason why the guy across from him has the tools to beat him. I could do that with Islam. I could, but I'm refusing to because I've been wrong up to this point about Charles Oliveira. And, and at some point in time, I just going to have to eat my words and say uh, against my initial reaction to pick against him there. He, there's something there. There's something there. And in this, I think this one's the easiest one to pick Charles compared to the other three as crazy as that sounds. Um, I, I really liked your analysis on how Islam and Habib wrestle. It isn't a lot of doubles and singles. They're not running the pipe and, and, you know, or, you know, knee tapping and driving across the octagon. It's right where Charles is super comfortable. And that's where he's the most dangerous on this in the wrestling exchanges. It, that's where he's going to climb to your back or get a real dirty foot sweep. And I, I, I just, for whatever reason, I'm, I'm just feeling like it's going to be dominant. I really do. Yeah. Level and I, crazy. I, I'm a big believer in level of competition. I really am. And if there's one knock that you got on Islam, he hasn't. He hasn't fought the best guys in the division. He hasn't walked through fire. Now, maybe he beats Keiichi. Maybe he beats Poirier. Maybe he beats Chandler. I don't know, but he hasn't done it. But he hasn't. There's just, there's just more unknowns with him. Has he mauled Bobby? Yeah, he mauled Bobby Green. He mauled Dan Hooker. Good for him. You know, he mauled a couple. Yeah, great. But, is Dan, Hook, but is Dan Hooker... A great wrestler is Dan Hooker, a top five guy. He's not. Is is but I like Bobby Green very much. Is Bobby Green a top five lightweight? He's not. He's never been that way. You know what I mean? He's a good fighter. Did he fight Mo- no he, Moises? Tiago Moises. Yeah, Tiago Moises. I thought that that fight wasn't that well, that wasn't as dominant as it should have been. Yeah, the way that people talk about him, and, yeah. and, I'm, and not saying Islam almost got beat, but he, he lost a couple scrambles, and and he lost position a couple times. If Tiago Moises can win a scramble because I, if I remember right, Tiago got to Islam's back for a second. I don't think he had both hooks in, but he did get to his back. And I think you're right. I think he did. I think there was a scramble where he got him for a I second. Think there yeah. was once or twice where he did get there. If Tiago Moises can get there, you better goddamn believe <laughs> that Charles Oliveira can. And you better hope he doesn't is what you got to be thinking. <laughs> yeah. If you're Islam, you better hope you're he doesn't. If you're Habib or you're Islam, you better hope to God he doesn't. I just, he does, again, he's going to finish. If there's time, just, he's going to finish. 
Maybe, maybe, and if Islam goes out there and beats him, I'll fully admit he's that dude. But mm-hmm. I just, I there's just not enough evidence for me to just jump on the train. A DC praise. I'll, I'll, I'll come I, back here and get on that train. I'll come I have, back here I have, and, and praise him. I have all the. I mean, I have so much respect for Daniel Cormier, incredible analyst. And when Daniel Cormier, when Daniel Cormier tells me something, I believe him. And he tells me all the time how good Islam is, and I believe him. But there's still an eye test. And the eye test is I haven't seen him fight those guys. I know what Charles Oliveira does in these moments now. My faith in Charles Oliveira has been restored because in the beginning, I'm guilty like everyone else, saying, "Well, he fades. He, 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 he you know, you push him." And he crumbles. That was the mm-hmm. mark on Charles for the longest time. If you get him under heat, he will crumble. He doesn't do that anymore. You know what I mean? You can't just say he's a jujitsu guy. He's a striker. He knocks out. You know, he not. I mean, he he hurt. He hurt. Oh, he hurt Gaethje on the feet to then get him on the ground. He hurt Poirier on the feet. He hurt Chandler. Knocked him out on the feet. Can't say that anymore. I just and and Makachev has been so. And and the other thing about Makachev is, is he's been so one sided. He hasn't really been pushed. He had that one fight with Cajun. Was it uh, uh, Cajun Johnson? I think is who it was. Which was a weird fight. Like it wasn't like super one sided. And he had to fight mm-hmm. with Sarukian. But Sarukian, that was his debut, and he took it on short notice. I'm not discounting the win, but that was literally his first fight in the UFC, and he took it on short notice. And he, and he won, but it wasn't like a it wasn't a typical Islam performance. He didn't dominate him. It was you know it was, it was he won thirty twenty seven. Okay, yeah, but not like it wasn't like the you know the thirty twenty seven you're thinking of where it's like oh man it was a blowout. It wasn't a blowout. It was a close fight. Yeah, it was a close got, fight. I don't and, believe and, anything Daniel Cormier says unless he's talking about anybody that's attached to AKA. And that and and I can't knock him for that. You know what I no. mean? That's anything anybody connected to Habib or AKA or Hob. Uh, I get it. Because I do the same thing with my own training partners. It's like I I see the best in them. I see the best opportunities. Like, well, I'm not lying to you. It's just I I'm closer to it, so I believe it more. Um, so I think there is some of that. I don't know how honest Daniel Cormier would be, even if he didn't believe that. Would he say that? Probably not. Yeah, that's true. So yeah, that's that's very true. And and I think you're right. I think that Islam has he he just hasn't been tested. He hasn't fought the level of competition, and he might be a you know he might be Gaethje. He might be Poirier, but like you said, he hasn't. So we can't use that. And I don't give a shit. Uh, even if I didn't have a reason, I'd still pick. <laughs> I'd still pick Charles Oliver. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm going Charles. I think it's once again. Yeah, I think it's gonna be. And and I don't care what they say about the title. It's and still. He's still the champ. I mean, come on. That's just I hope BS. they say and still if he wins. I hope they do too. I hope they do too. Uh, last thing I want to. I want to ask you one question before we get out. We've been on here for a long time. I won't take up any more of your time. I am curious. One last thing I want to ask you about real quick before I get you out of here, Anthony. Beyond UFC 280, you did the interview with Ariel after your fight and you were talking, we've talked about this on our, many of our interviews, but I'm bringing that one up in particular. You, you talked about your old weight cuts to middleweight and how mm-hmm. that just basically almost killed you. Um, and I was thinking about that the other day when I, cause when we first talked years ago, you were a middleweight and I'm like, in my head, I can't remember Anthony Smith as a middleweight now because you've done so much at light heavyweight and you're so much bigger now. Yeah. Like the thought of you cutting down, I want to ask your opinion real quick, not about what, like, and I'm asking what you think he should do. I'm not asking you to knock what the guy's doing and, and talk about it, but I am curious, a guy like Hamza Chemaev, incredible welterweight. We know how good he is, but you miss weight by seven and a half pounds. And now he's talking about it. Cause here's the thing. I think Hamza Chemaev could be a real serious threat to Alex Pahaya or Islam or uh, Israel Adesanya with his wrestling and his grappling. <laughs> yeah. He's a serious threat. Now, 
I can't say that as much against a guy. You know, again, I know Leon Edwards is a champ now, but against a guy like, uh, you know, I think Usman, those kind of guys, Colby, but I know Colby. everyone hates Colby. Can't discount Colby's wrestling and cardio, dude. I'm sorry. But you don't like him. That fucking guy can fight. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not talking about any of that. I'm not, I'm not asking your opinion on like knocking the guy. Like, I'm not asking you to take a shot, but like, you've gone through this. You know how much like different you feel as light heavyweight. Would you recommend Hamzat to go up to middleweight or would you say like, you know, because he has fought, he has legitimately fought at welterweight and done well. He had the Gilbert Burns fight. That's an incredible barn burner of a fight. Maybe he really did just have one bad weight cut. I don't know. I'm curious your opinion real quick. I just want to get your opinion before I get you out of here. Yeah. Yeah. Real quick. Honestly, I, I think he should stay. I think he should go to middleweight because he's only getting old. He's only getting older. He's still a pretty young guy. So he's only going to continue to get bigger. And, and by taking that off of his plate, he could grow technically and athletically so much faster without having to suck his body. Because what happens is you start to train, you get in these camps and you're training all the time and your body wants to grow. It wants to be healthy. It's going to, it takes more to fuel it. it. Your body wants to adapt to what it's doing. If you're also sucking yourself down and stopping that process, you're just hurting yourself. Um, I think that there's bigger fights at 185 for him. I think that he is his name value means more at 185 right now. There's crazy superstars at 170. 185 could use a couple. And and I think there's some great matchups up there for him. Um so I, you know, just broadly, if if I was if 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 I was Mr. Chmayev, I would probably stay at middleweight. I remember what Michael Chiesa told me when he went to welterweight. He said, I used to spend my entire training camps training to get to 155. Mm-hmm. I wasn't training to get better. I was training to cut weight to 155. I never got better because I was always freaking out about what well, could I make 155. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I heard you talk about like how much you just killed yourself to make 185, like how much you just depleted your body. And I can probably imagine the same way, right? Like you couldn't really focus on getting better because you were just like, I got to get down to 185. Was it was a camp. Yeah, yeah, like it, that's and that's exactly what like, and I can't. I can only imagine how much of Chamaya's time is spent thinking I got to get down to one seventy. You know what I mean? Like how much of his of camp? It. How much of his camp of is he thinking I can't do this or I can't do that or I I got to do this to make sure I'm one seventy? Most of it, you know. Most of it. Because did you see the wrestling match between him and Jack Hermanson? I did. You see the size of that goddamn guy? Yeah, dude. Jack Hermanson is not a small middleweight, <laughs> and he was significantly larger. Yeah, so I would suspect that his entire training camp. Is focused around getting his weight down. Yeah, and, and I th- listen, and that's unfortunate. I'm not saying I'm not saying I'm picking him. I'm not going to make that kind of way crazy declaration. But I wouldn't. I right now, if you ask me right now, like you said, like could he beat Adesanya? I'm could not he? saying he yeah. could. I'm not saying he couldn't. <laughs> I'm yeah. not saying he couldn't. I, I think he could. <laughs> I think he could. That's it's yeah. not crazy. It's not crazy. That's Stylistically, sure. now, now would he? I don't know. I got to dig into it a little deeper, but could he for sure? Yeah, for sure. And See, definitely I, I could s- beat Alex. Yeah. I stuck that one into the end and you notice I didn't bring up Connor. See, look at me. I'm getting headlines, but I'm not, I'm not bringing up. <laughs> look at that. <laughs> you, you love it. What's the two, what's the two you always tell me? Connor and John Jones. Those are the ones people always like to jump on those always grenades Connor, for you. Anthony. Oh yeah, always. Did you see Connor took a <laughs> poor Bisbing caught a straight bullet in Connor's tweets the other day? I did, man. I like, a knock man on- he's, just, he's just spraying them everywhere. What the hell did Bisbing yeah. do? Leave my friend uh, alone. Now I, need, I don't I, know I need what- him on my podcast still. You can't make him all sad and hurt his feelings. I don't know what Connor's doing with his uh, Roadhouse movie. I hope he does a great job. I'm going to watch. I loved Roadhouse growing up, man. When I was growing up as a kid, I loved Roadhouse. I was a big Patrick Swayze guy. Uh, but Bisping's actually a pretty good actor. Like, I've seen Bisping and some stuff. He's pretty good. So, you well, know, you may acting, want to slow down. He's, 
He's been acting since before Connor was even in the UFC. Yeah, you may want to slow down on the you're a better actor right now. I'm just saying, like, you know, you may yeah. you, you can you can say a lot of things. Bisping's not bad. He's actually pretty good. Yeah. He's actually he's actually he's actually one of the few guys, and I'll be honest about this, Anthony. He's one of the few guys when I see his name in a marquee, I don't immediately cringe because there's one particular fighter, uh, UFC Hall of Famer, former women's champion. I won't mention her by name, but when I used to see her name on the marquee in acting, I was like, hmm, this is gonna be rough. And I was was very good at this. And I was never wrong. I was never wrong, Anthony. I was never wrong about that. Just saying, I was never wrong about that. But I don't get that feeling with Michael Bisping. I'm just saying, when Michael Bisping's on a marquee, I'm like, ooh, it's Michael Bisping. I'm excited to see this. Didn't get that that feeling with certain other people. Just saying. Other unnameables. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Anthony, thank you for taking the time. I know beyond anything else, we talked at the top of the show, all the things you got going on, but in seriousness, I know you don't have to take an hour out of your day to do this. So I really do appreciate you doing this. Uh, keep doing what you're doing. I'm sure we, we talk a lot off the air, but I'll tell you this on the air. Uh, hope everything you know goes well with the recovery, uh, the blood clot, everything works out. So enjoy a little bit of downtime with the kids and everything. And seriously, I do appreciate when you do this with me. I appreciate you, man. Let's, uh, let's not wait so long in between next time. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, man. Take care. A big thank you once again to Anthony Smith for coming on and breaking down everything as it relates to UFC 280 coming up in just a couple of weeks from Abu Dhabi. A reminder that is going to be an early start time for that pay-per-view. I believe the prelims start at 10 a.m. Eastern. The main card starts at 2 p.m. Eastern. It is a ridiculously stacked card, an embarrassment of riches, if you will. And uh, we're going to have wall-to-wall coverage on MMAfighting.com, of course. But, uh, yeah, so make sure you're up early and ready to watch that one because it's going to be an incredible card from Abu Dhabi. Headlined, of course, by Charles Oliveira taking on Islam Makachev for the vacant lightweight title. Uh, as always, we appreciate everyone tuning into the show. Make sure you check us out each and every week on uh, our, all your favorite podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and of course, you can always catch us over on MMAfighting.com where we will have you locked down and covered for everything UFC 280 related coming up in just a couple weeks. I want to say a big thank you to everyone that tunes in each and every week to the show. We'll be back next week with more Fighter versus Rider. Uh, again, a big thank you to Anthony Smith for coming on and breaking everything down with me, and uh, we will see you guys next week for another edition of the Fighter vs. the Rider. Thanks for tuning in. See you then. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over. Age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible. Ability and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.
more to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.